Hello everybody, welcome to the DevOps Diaries podcast. I am your host, Jack McCurdy, and today I am joined by Matt Peeper of CareRev. Matt, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, Matt, it's been a while since since we last spoke. Um, how have you been? Yeah, it's been great. I think, um, you know, this is always the fun time of year where we start to to wrap up projects and, and retroflect, um, you know, on the year. Uh, I can't believe it, it's, you know, already November uh, when we record this and, and Dreamforce is, is a distant memory. Yeah, for sure. It has, it has, been, it has been an amazing year, which, which are, so I'm quite privileged to uh, get you on the podcast uh, um, at this time after, after, after a big, big year for you. Um, I know you've been working closely with with me and my team uh, recently this year, which has been super exciting, um, and it's it feels good to good to have you on here and hopefully share some of that some of that journey with the folks on here today. Um, but Matt, why don't you why don't you give the listeners a wee bit of a wee bit of an introduction to yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Matt Peaver. I'm currently our director of business systems engineering at CareRev. CareRev is a two-sided marketplace where we can place, um, you know, nurses and prof- other healthcare professionals at facilities on a per diem basis, allowing them to have that flexibility to to pick up shifts when they they, they want, and um, really revolutionizing the, the healthcare world. Um, what that director of business systems uh, means is I own all of our enterprise SaaS and the integrations between them, trying to reduce the amount of swivel chairing and clicks we do between applications. Um, why I'm here is, is Salesforce is our bread and butter of that portfolio and, and really drives a lot of our client facing operations. Um, outside of CareRev, I've been in the, the Salesforce ecosystem for well over a decade now, um, really starting as that engineer and architect. Um, and outside of, of the world, uh, you know, I do some volunteering disaster response, um, and then we, we foster uh, you know, dogs and, and our health, uh, or foster some animals um, you know, through our local shelter and, and try to travel as much as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you find the time to foster dogs as well as doing the travel <laughs> travel that you do? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's great. We have a uh, awesome partner and shelter here uh, where I live, and um, anytime we travel, they're they're welcome to to invite those pups back. But I think uh, you know, pre post pandemic, it, it's a lot easier because we can just uh, have have those four legged friends all over the house. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, they, I think, um, even with with the pandemic, I think. Yeah. Animals, I think, saved a lot of people. I know a lot of my friends and um, family members were very grateful to have four-legged friends or or what have you with them over that time. So it's nice to kind of be returning to some some normality, I guess. Um, um, Matt, so um, you mentioned mentioned a bit about your about your background there in terms of being responsible for SaaS um, across across CareRev and have experience in Salesforce ecosystem for the last ten years. Um, how has kind of your career developed to, to lead more in Salesforce? I know you have experience with other technologies, but um, how is how has that kind of knowledge of other systems and other other stacks kind of helped you kind of as you looked look towards Salesforce and lent more on Salesforce as a business application? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know coming from a traditional software development background, you're always thinking of you know, how can we build it? How can we solve a complex problem with code? Uh, and as engineers, we always we always love those complex problems, and we, we start to to try to tackle them. I accidentally fell into Salesforce through happenstance when I when I picked up a, a job, and they rolled out Salesforce and said, you know, 
it's yours now. Congratulations. I had no idea uh, about how to use Salesforce, what it even was <laughs> at the time. Um, and I said, you know, this is, you know, what do you mean code or, or clicks instead of code, right? And at the time, you know, there was still Force IDE and the Eclipse and, and everything. And, and I was like, you know, this is, this is frustrating. Um, and over that time that I got in there, I realized that the, the power of the platform, you don't have to worry about infrastructure. You don't have to worry about this. There's uh, business problems that are inherently built in um, and, and they were fun to, to build. Um, you know, now that I'm in, you know, that, that enterprise SaaS world with an entire engineering team around me, it's fun to, to joke back and forth, um, you know, with our traditional software engineers that say, you know, you can just, you can just code this. It doesn't need to be in Salesforce. And then we're like, well, you know, we, we have lightning web components that you know are typically like your angular, like we're speaking the same language. It's just, it's, it's fast for me to build. Um, but that transition has been interesting, of course, you know, I don't have, um, you know, I'm not spinning up infrastructure in, in Docker containers, but then I do find myself on the periphery doing that as I'm pulling data in and out of Salesforce. We're still leaning on a lot of that, um, you know, traditional software development. And, you know, as Salesforce, I think, has matured even over the past couple of years, we're finding it to, to be more of that, that traditional software development lifecycle. We're using things like DevOps and, and CICD pipelines. You know, as JavaScript has come so forefront in the lightning, where we're really thinking, how can we customize a UI like we would do in any sort of standalone app? And I think that's that's my journey, right? That's that's the mantra that I, that I try to, to go on. Um, so many organizations, I feel like they just throw a SaaS in a, in a corner and really it's, it's a product. We, we manage it just like any other product manager would. It, it's a standalone app, even though someone sold it to us, we're, we're still building it and making it our own and, and trying to automate it and make it fit for, for our end users. Yeah. So it's a, it's such a, such an interesting point. I think, um, when a business buys Salesforce, you, you, there is a risk of getting stuck into the corner. You know, buy it out of the box and don't do anything with it. But um, something that's quite interesting, you know, your LinkedIn tagline, for example, is solving ambiguous problems with technology. Um, and what's interesting to me is like how much more ambiguous those problems get, the more invested you get into into the platform. Um, is there anything that's kind of surprised you about? the problems that you faced with Salesforce is, is kind of scaled um, in your career so far? Yeah, I think as I look a decade ago, I was, um, you know, cursing workflow uh, rules, right? Like, why are these these so <laughs> static? I don't think process builder was, was even there. And so, you know, I was spending spending time uh, writing triggers and, and, and doing tests and uh, we didn't even have, you know, robust call outs back then. Um, and so as we've progressed, I think it's, we have more and more tools, right? We have lightning, lightning, uh, we have flow builder and flow builder can, can do whatever you want under the sun. I mean, we're even tying in AWS these days, um, Heroku data. And so I think Salesforce has scaled tremendously and it's gotten to the point where, you know, you, you can't know everything about the platform anymore. And you get mm -hmm. those challenges such as like, how how do I want to solve this? Not can I solve this? Um, and I think that's the the true challenges we're facing. Um, you know, even as I look at my admins, um, you know, I, I had admins early on my teams years ago, and you know they were strong, they knew everything, and, and you know I had them transition from business analyst. I think today, as we look at Salesforce, 
we're having to become more and more technical as those admins and those analysts and even as those engineers. Um, there's a lot of crossover between Salesforce developers and, and traditional software engineers where, you know, there's no longer that us versus them. We have to understand a lot of the same components. And I think, you know, I, I, I you know, I look at new admins who come into this world and I'm like, man, that has to be a lot to, to absorb, right? There's, there's just so much to, to think about. And then you throw something like DevOps on top of that. And you're like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I'm just trying to figure out Salesforce. Why do I have to now know how to move things from one Salesforce org to another? And I think that that's the inherent thing that I've seen as, as Salesforce is scaled. It's just, there's, there's so much to try to figure out. Um, and, and, as the, the, the geek and nerd in me, I want to solve all the problems. And I really have to, to, to look at myself and go, nope, no one has, you know, 48 hours in a day. Uh, you got you to gotta focus on what's in front of you. <laughs> yeah, we, it's, it can so feel like that sometimes that we need that amount of time to, to be able to, to do some of these things. It's interesting you mentioned your admins coming from a BA background. How, as a leader in an organization, how do you manage like the people shift that's required to, you know, move on to like slightly more technical subjects? You mentioned DevOps there, and that's obviously a thing that we've spoken about at length before. And um, we're going to touch on again later, obviously, uh, podcast title notwithstanding. <laughs> um, so, um, so how have you kind of managed that, you know, that kind of cultural change and the, the people change required to kind of be successful on the platform? Yeah, I hope it's not a surprise to to my uh, you know my my team members uh, listening to this podcast. But I try to be patient and and, and try to provide that mentorship. I think um, it, it's hard to to think of like Salesforce as, as database tables and Salesforce is going to yell at me for calling them that. We all know they're abstracted t- <laughs> metadata. Um, but you know it, it's I you know trying to translate that and go okay. You know, you're, you're going from this tabular format or, or these clicks or, or these, um, you know, flows, but I'm having to then train my, my folks because we're such a connected Salesforce org to go, okay, now log into um, our analytics and, and monitoring tool. And here's some alerts and dashboards. Um, as we bring data in from our custom applications, um, here's why those failures occurred. Um, now you have these, these ETL jobs running in the background and they're having to be responsible for that. And so you have to slow down. Um, you have to realize that not everyone's up to the same speed as you. You're, you've been, you know, I've been in this ecosystem for 10 years and I understand uh, the engineering terms, but not, not all of my team. And so you have to kind of slow down and, and use a lot of user stories uh, and examples and scenarios and explain why things work um, the way they do, um, not just how they work. Um, you know, you have to distill down to those common denominator pieces, I think, to to, to really point out what's more important. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the hardest part is you tell somebody who's moving across that, um, you know, maybe from a business unit into an admin role is what to focus on and what's most important. And, and I think even then, too, how do you how do you tell them how to tackle that, that problem? I think a lot of admins, right. And, and engineers, we, we have this constant struggle of what do I build with, with native declarative functionality and what do I, what do I build in code? What's the best way to do that? Because um, until you have all those years of experience under your belt, you really don't know what's there. And so it's having that open collaboration across the entire team where hopefully we're learning something new every day. I know I learned something new from, from my team every day. And that's what really excites me about this role. Yeah, it's 
it's, it's that age of, it's that age old question we could just code it but should we code it you know <laughs> exactly like what's like where's the where's the trade-off you know and and obviously have the limits within within salesforce itself like how much like processing time is it going to take to to do this via flow or what have you whereas you know we might be able to code that in apex for um for half of that or a fraction of that yeah. um but you know like what, what do you what do you, what do you do like what do you do like how do you how do you make that decision based on how you know how fast that could be produced or what yeah, I, might get introduced yeah i think i think one of the the funniest conversations i had um happened in the past two weeks i have a a, a very uh very experienced and very talented engineer who's uh, focused in salesforce but knows node and, and knows everything um and it was funny to watch him um you know try to build a flow um he's like oh i know how to do this in code it would take like five lines but i know we should use flow and like to see that learning curve where an admin then comes in it's like oh click there click there click there and you're done like that that's the the, the fun piece right where an admin can be empowered to write an automation that frustrated an engineer. Yeah, it's uh, almost it, it's almost like bragging rights a little bit, you know, like a little bit of like healthy kind of competition. But you know, at least it's coming back to what you're saying earlier about like helping everybody leveling up and like giving each other that time and space to improve and having that patience with them. I think is is hopefully hopefully empowering, you know, um, for them and having a space that they can do that um, is awesome. Um, I want to speak about speak about DevOps, uh, DevOps especially um, as something as something that you've looked at a lot over the last year and looked to improving that improving that process at at CareRev. So you mentioned about an admin, uh, a new a new admins especially, and you know I've seen this when I've presented to like Talent Stacker or the the folks at like Pep Up Tech and things like that. Um, you know, you introduce DevOps to them and they go. Oh my goodness! Like we didn't we we were we were doing Trailhead and we were learning about all the stuff that we do inside the platform, and then you've got actually managing those changes. Um, what was kind of the catalyst for you looking at um, looking at the DevOps process and looking to improve and streamline that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. So you're coming from that that the background of, of traditional engineering, you realize that. Doing things in production is, is never never a, a good idea. As much as you know, experience as you are, um, we all make mistakes. And, and clicking something in production and, and taking down your entire org—not that I've ever done that—is is bad, right? And so, uh, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if if you've been in software development or, or any you know technology for for long enough, if you've not accidentally broken something critical in production, you're probably not try hard enough. Right, like you. I think that's a, that's a life experience that everyone needs because then you you, you learn from that mistake uh, rather rather quickly. Um, but I, I realized that that having that control, right, not even the the, the history, right, that that these changes happen. It's it's like reading a novel. Um, you can go back in, in history and realize the evolution of your org and, and where that code base happened, and and go back and figure out where you you made those architectural decisions. Is something you can do in a DevOps environment, especially with source control and Git, that you can't do with just chain sets from from one org to another. You lose a lot of that history and a lot of that knowledge, um, and you also lose that that component of peer review. Um, you can be the smartest engineer or admin in the world and make mistakes or or design something that's that's in, you know not the best. And so having that ability to have peer reviews and, and code reviews um, as part of your 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 SDLC 
is, is critical. And that's why we you know, made that decision to move to DevOps, um, mainly to, to have more control and visibility into our process. Um, it's actually improved our velocity because you can develop locally and then move from org to org. You can bite those things in, in, in chunks. We're fortunate enough that we do multiple releases a day as things are, are ready. We don't have to wait for, for months or I learned just recently there's orgs out there that release only once a quarter. I can't imagine releasing That's once a quarter. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't care how regulated your industry is, like once a quarter release, your, your users, I, I, I imagine, have to be extremely frustrated. <laughs> um, but I came in and, and we had a bit of a wild west going on. Um, you know, even with our consulting partners, they were, they were developing things in production, even though we had sandboxes that were tied to, um, you know, our, our engineering uh, integration environments. And so we couldn't test things. We had no source of truth to really know where things were broken. And, you know, pretty much from the get, I said, okay, we, we have to change this. I know we can move from change sets from org to org, but that's just going to take a long time. Like we're, we're, you know, if something fails, it's going to frustrate folks. And so that's when we started down that journey of let's find a, a third party that really understands DevOps and really understands source control outside of, of just Salesforce alone, right? Well, what are those basic principles that, that move things forward? Yeah, for sure. So did you have to do a lot of untangling then when you first looked at this and said, hey, where is everything, you know, is everything out of sync? Is like, what's where? Like, and if so, like, did you, how did you go about that? Yeah, so uh, plug for gear set. It was one of the, the first things I did when in the trial was just run an org to org comparison between um, our partial copy sandbox, which was hooked up to our integration environment and production. Um, and that first compare and deploy I did, um, you know, it, it took a while and then I saw that drift and, and I, you know, instantly was like, okay, we, we have to buy something. Um, but that, that first, you know, <laughs> five minutes is, is where I realized, you know, where things were, were out of control. Um, and I think it, it took us a while, um, you know, probably a, a good quarter to, to get into a good state. Um, where we are today, but now I can, uh, we're doing a service cloud uh, deployment and we have the ability to have our local, um, you know, service cloud development sandbox, but also right at the end of our pipeline, a, a service cloud training sandbox where we have that entire pipeline built out that we wouldn't have had, um, you know, a year ago. Like we wouldn't be able just to spin up a sandbox for, for users to easily hop into and, and, and do UAT and, and roll that out. So that untangling of the spider web, I think still gives me, still gives me nightmares to this day. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's really interesting. So did you think about your org strategy at the same time as like setting up a good DevOps process or was it because you had a good DevOps process that you could think about org strategy or? Yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit of a, of a circular logic. And so I knew that my strategy and the only way that we could push forward is, is to have that DevOps process in, in place and, and know that. Um, to, to, to follow best practices, to have those different environments, we would have to have DevOps in place or else we would be constantly um, playing the game of, oh, hey, that's broken in, in UAT or our sandbox. Um, let me go back and investigate why. And now I don't have to think about that because we push those, you know, from, from org to org, like almost automatically. I mean, there are stage gates and, and those, but we know if we push think one thing to a, the next environment, it just works. And so that, that really helps me zoom out less on the tactical and more on that strategy and, and road mapping of how we want to build Salesforce moving forward. Sure. Sure. Now with the, with the, with the job title like yours as well, did, did you, 
was this one of those things where you had autonomy to say I want to go and do this and I already know the value of this or did you have to then sell that internally because I think that's that's what we see a lot with or I see a lot with folks in the ecosystem they go I get it and I want to do it but I can't get buy-in from from the stakeholders to want to do it or put the pause on it you you mentioned it there about three taking like three months to kind of detangle a bit of the web and to have that full core to kind of get yourself in a good place where you could move forward like did you was that something that you knew and anticipated or did you have to say like this is why i'm doing this thing and help me and trust me to to do it you know yeah, I am fortunate enough that I, I report into our, our chief technical officer and CTO, right? So the, he understands the, the, the importance of CICD and, and trunk-based development, um, where I had to do a lot of politicking and, and um, education is why can't we use an open source tool like Jenkins or, or PDs like that, or um, you know any of the open source things like Cumulus that come you know off, off the ground and, and maybe GitHub Actions. So... I knew we needed CICD. Um, I had that convincing piece of, okay, which tool are we going to use? Um, open source, AKA slightly free or commercially available product. One of the, the key decisions I had is if I knew I only had a team of engineers, I knew I could use GitHub Actions or, or, or some open source tool. But I have admins and analysts who need to be able to deploy from from org to org, and having that that UI and that easy to understand piece was was critical for us. And so that's a lot of of the decision making and, and pieces I had to say, okay, we have to to spend budget on this. You know, I would say I've been in those places right where you you had to then convince you know because you might report in at the business instead of engineering um, of those conversations. And I would say to those folks, right, it's it's all about speed to value. Uh, and, and if you can show your, 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 you know, your stakeholders, right. That having that DevOps process will get things to you faster, um, with, with less errors, um, with less, uh, troubleshooting after the fact <laughs> that it, it's worth the investment. I mean, I, we've all been in those places where it's like, okay, I'm going to deploy a change set. Okay. That failed crap. Or you do those third, you know, Thursday night at 11 p.m. release windows, and you redeploy, and it fails. And you're like, crap. But like, if you have that CI/CD pipeline in process, you've already done all of your testing. You know it's going to succeed. You you have those staged, and 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 even if it does fail, you can find that individual component and tweak it and remove it into that release. And so, that's my advice to those who uh, aren't fortunate enough to report into to someone who understands that the, the true value of DevOps. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and say, say, say to your leaders, Hey, you know, I was doing overtime until 2am the, the other Friday night because of those change sets. Yeah. Let's avoid that. Yep. <laughs> um, that's, is there, have there been any, any particular unexpected, you know, pleasant surprises about moving to, to this way of working? You know, you talked about release velocity and, you know, releasing multiple times a day is often for a lot of teams seen as like utopia, but has there been any other unexpected surprises or any other benefits that you've seen through doing a project like this? Yeah, I, I, I'm amazed by the moments and pairing between um, our engineers, our admins, um, you know, that, that knowledge transfer between them where instantly they can hop in and, and help each other. Well, this release got stuck. Um, I would also say one of the, the most surprising um, pieces has been our, our folks understand what metadata is now. Like, 
when they deploy a profile, they realize, oh, wait a minute, a profile is not just a profile. There's like a thousand components. That's an exaggeration that make up a profile. Is it? <laughs> okay, it might not be. Uh, sorry, Salesforce. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing only permission sets. We don't we don't have profiles now. Uh, <laughs> but those individual metadata components, and and um, I think it's also opened up our eyes um, of like, wow, like having an XML metadata platform is, is truly incredible. Like how do you, how do you push this much metadata from, from an app to app and me being that nerd I am, I'm like, wow, this was all made in 2000. Like we're still using the base metadata kind of deployment model from, you know, killing software and then in, in, in the SAS model that, that came through. And so it, it, it's just incredible to have global organizations running on, on, you know, this backbone still. And, and we, we totally geek out about that. <laughs> uh, yes um the platform has come a long way but i think when you do distill it all down and like have time to look at it and understand a little bit more you know you can see that picture start to be built a little bit more about where everything started and you know the heritage of what you're dealing with and why there is the still complexity on on the platform or unexpected unexpected challenges that that you might not realize um something that you were saying earlier is like understanding why you build things rather than just the how and you know having that that bit of visibility i guess gives you some more of that more of that context um on the flip side of that was there any any challenges you know we, i speak to a lot of teams and there can be there's friction when you introduce a new process or uh, a new new tooling or tech stack or, or what have you i mean was there any any challenges that you didn't foresee happening yeah, I think it, it, it's just um, the flip side of the metadata coin, right? Like, wow, profiles are made of a thousand different things. Like, <laughs> why? I just want to deploy a custom. I just want to deploy a field. Why? Why? Why can't I see that field in 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 my release, right? And then you realize, oh crap, I forgot to deploy the the actual field level security because congratulations, those are two separate things, right? And so, educating on 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 those pieces, I think, has been. Um, you know, the, the, the challenges that we've had that we didn't, you know, we knew they would be there, but we didn't realize that the level of some of those that you, you didn't know. And, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that um, there's partners out there such as gear set that distill that down to you and have those warnings of like, Hey, uh, you didn't deploy that with this. Are you sure you'll want to go through with that? And so a lot of the, I think we got super excited. One of my admins slacked me, um, I think it was two weeks ago when the, the, the field level security, uh, warnings were, were first rolled out, um, you know, as part of a, a release and he's like, okay, this just saved my life. Right. <laughs> um, <and laughs> yeah. So you're just going, where's this thing that you said you just shipped, but <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> try um, picking that one with a change set, right? <laughs> exactly exactly um but yeah i think the challenges we've had um has also been like how do we design our pipeline like are we over architecting um you know those pieces i think the other challenges that we've had have been um you know how long do we need to babysit uh, across our, our org and our pipeline um you know now you're thinking okay i can add as many sandboxes as i want into my process but really should I? And, and those yeah. are the conversations that you start to have is, is really where's that value set um, across your, your, your pipeline. So is this, is simplicity something that you're favoring now over 
I don't want to say complexity because you know if you need a if you need a sandbox for a reason then you you've got to have a good reason. But is is kind of simplicity the name of the game now that you have this process set up? Yeah, simplicity is the name of the game, and I think you know it's it's you know keeping things dry as well, um, and, and not repeating ourselves and and repurposing sandboxes. Um, you know, do we need two training sandboxes um, just because we're rolling out new features, or can we consolidate those? I think something else that we've explored is. You know, how can we use other tools in the toolbox, such as GitHub Actions, to if we have those, you know, those copies right down the line after our main branch, like, cool, let's, let's just go ahead and auto-merge those PRs. We know they're approved. They've released into production. Let's use that auto-merge function in GitHub Actions, and then GearSet can pick those up and, and merge them automatically. Like, we don't need to worry about those sandboxes past past main because they've already been approved through the, you know, through code review and the entire release process. So keeping it simple, but then also remembering that, um, you know, we work in Salesforce land, we should automate things. <laughs> yeah. Automate, automate everything, you know, um, it's, it's, it's the future, right? <laughs> Especially if, if, we, if anybody was a Dreamforce listening to this, then you, then you know that that's the, know that automation is the future for sure. Um, I got one last question here for you, Matt. Before you go, what would be your advice to, or one piece of advice to any engineering leaders looking to kind of take on like a similar journey to yourself? Whether that be you know looking after the team or looking at um, any part of that people process or technology that that we're all invested in. Yeah, I think it's it's patience, right? Um, I think a lot of times as engineering leaders, we we've, we've been around um, the block a few time or few time or two um and we we know a lot of context and sometimes we have to to step out of those shoes and remember that um not everyone knows everything that we know not everyone's had the same journey we've had um you know it takes some time to coach and mentor and, and develop others um especially when it comes to to new technologies um you know, in 2022, we the, the world is our oyster and there's tons of things to do. Um, and you get that favorite thing I learned out of grad school, which is that paradox of choice. Like there's so many different options that it's hard to, 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 to pull through that. And so it's our job as engineering leaders or, or senior leaders or team leads to, to have that patience and, and share our knowledge with others. It's one of those reasons that I, I love you know, people in this environment such as yourself and, and Salesforce, um, because we're all willing to share content. We're all willing to, to come out and help each other and mentor others. Um, and I would also say, sorry, uh, other engineering leaders, but, but give back, give that time, you know, be willing to, to answer questions. I realize we're, we're constantly busy, but you know, someone, someone along the line helped us as well. Right. For sure. For sure. I think that's good. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, Matt, thank you so much for, for coming on to, to the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And I think you shared some some awesome stuff that folks in the ecosystem can use uh, when when looking at looking at that journey and you know patience patience is a virtue, right? So um so that that resonates for sure. Matt, if people want to find out more about Care Rev and uh, what you're doing over there, how can how can it reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first of all, if you're, if you're a healthcare professional looking to to learn what we're about or a facility looking to to get on a platform, please visit carev.com. Um, as far as my personal brand and myself, uh, mattpeeper.com is where I post a lot of my content. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I'm on that platform known as Twitter for now. 
<laughs> for now <laughs> yeah let's uh, i think we might need another half an hour to to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> cool matt thank you so much really appreciate uh, appreciate your time today and uh listeners thank you for, for tuning in to another episode of the devops diaries podcast catch you again next time